This episode of Indie Film Weekly is brought to you by Vimeo. Welcome to Indie Film Weekly. I'm Micah Van Hove. I'm Charles Hayne. And this is April 27th, NAB 2017. Coming to you live from the Plaza Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. The Plaza Hotel and Casino and the disgusting air quality capital of Vegas with the best internet, 100 up, 100 down. Can't mess with that. All right, Micah, what's the coolest thing you saw on the floor so far? I keep getting asked that question. I keep getting asked, what's the coolest thing you've seen at NAB? And I have basically no answer for it. Um, I don't think it's because there's necessarily nothing cool, but there's nothing that sticks out to me as something that's going to stick or change, stick around long enough or change the way that I'm working in the immediate future. Which is weird, because I actually have two things that immediately jump out at me that I've been answering, because, yeah, that's what every vendor asks when you're killing time. Right. And uh, the two answers I've been giving are the Illuminati light meter and the Sakonic 858 light meter. So the Illuminati light meter is cool because it's like a little $200 wireless light meter, $300 once it's some of the Kickstarter, and it does color and light volume. And the idea is that you can then buy a bunch and you can like leave them set up in your scene. So like, let's say you're in a situation where you're lighting a green screen. Fuck it. You could tape four of them to the green screen, leave them continuously lighting, then sit there on your iPad app, make sure your green screen's right. And then a big thing with green screen work is like when you start lighting the foreground objects, sometimes it spills on your green. But instead of having to walk over to continuously recheck your green, You've got a meter there taped to your green, so you can just look at your iPad and be like, am I spilling on my green or not? Then it's like they're $300 a pop. You can continuously read with them. And I don't know, I think that's fucking awesome. And since it's a green screen, you can use them as your tracker marks. Um, it's also great because it can do like a, uh, it can read Kelvin, so it can read your color balance and it can also log it. So like, let's say you're doing a day exterior shoot, you could just leave one set up in your scene and then it's going to watch the color temperature move throughout the day and track it for you. And then I met with the high folks and I tried to talk the high folks into syncing with it. So like, let's say you're doing a day exterior interview, you do your foreground light on your subject with a hive, sync it with your Illuminati and cause the hive can dial in every Kelvin and then it'll keep your foreground light matched to the ambient daylight changing through the background. Now they don't have that yet, but I hope they will soon. But the Illuminati is cool as shit. And then the 858 is cool as shit. So it's a light meter that lets you profile your camera. And they have a software, so you shoot a bunch of dedicated chip charts, you put it through their software, and then the camera will know the dynamic range of your of your camera. So you're out there and doing light readings. It's not just going to tell you, ooh, three over key, four under key. It's going to show you right on a graph, like, ooh, you're right at the edge of your exposure. You're right at the top of your highlight. You're right at the bottom of your shadows for your specific camera, which is fucking badass as shit. So light meters, surprisingly, are the two most exciting things I've seen. That's great. Yeah, I, I didn't get to see those yet, and I haven't seen the videos that we're publishing. Although um, I did hear um, in passing just a little bit of um, sort of uh, skepticism of a light meter that is connected to an iPad just for the sake of being skeptical of it because it's an iPad. I mean, those little clip-on Flux things that you like clip on your iPad camera. Right. I've tested one of those. It's like not really accurate enough to use as a light meter. Like I like even Cinemeter, the iPad app is pretty good, but this is a the dedicated light meter head unit. And then all of the rest of it's in the iPad. And you know, there's a reason it's $300. It is the light sensitivity unit 
should cost about 300 When you're buying an $800 light meter, half of that is all of the display and the math shit, and put that on an app and keep the hardware part. So that's the part I think is interesting. Yeah, everything else seems to be themed around virtual reality, 360 video. It seems to be a huge, explosive part of the market right now. And, I mean, it's been it's been improving. The technology has been improving year over year. The popularity of the technology has been improving year over year. I mean, I think it was only four or five years ago at NAB that... 360 video and VR was even hinted at, and now it seems to be in every other booth. I mean, it's almost the entire North Hall is VR, basically, at this point. What's interesting for me, I'm sort of a VR skeptic. I haven't seen anything that, like, blew my mind or made me feel in VR. But what's interesting, we went to the Sennheiser booth, and they have, like, a 3R ambisonic microphone for $1,600, and they were like, look, you've got to do it. And they made me put on the headset and do it and watch a scene with 360 audio so that as I'm t- turning, I'm not just seeing different things, but also, like, the sound that was in front of me is now behind me and it's now beside me. And it actually, like, fucking sound is half the battle. And I feel like a lot of the VR experiences I've seen that weren't good, I'm now beginning to wonder if it's because the sound wasn't paid as much attention to as the picture. Because it was a way more immersive experience with this ambisonic mic. So I think that's something to check out. Yeah, the coolest thing I saw in the VR 360 realm was probably the Hype VR technology, which is basically taking 360 video and virtual reality and kind of removing the virtual aspect. I mean, they're shooting with a red camera array that's like, you know, super high resolution and they're stitching that together and you're viewing it in a headset. But not only can you just look around uh, left, right, up, down, behind you, when you walk, you're walking around in the space as well. And it's all photorealistic. So it's not virtual reality. It's it's like fully, really high resolution stitched stuff. So it's like basically the, the difference between having, looking through the headset and looking through your eyes is like way, way smaller than it should be. And that's hype? Yeah, I've watched like 50 or 60 videos in the past two days, three days of everything that's been going on and that hype VR thing. One of the uh, coolest parts about it was they did this demonstration where the person in the VR headset actually like got down on the ground and like looked up underneath something that he was seeing in VR, which is something that I haven't seen before. So you can actually like explore different dimensions within the VR headset. It's crazy. I'll just say the coolest thing I saw while I've been looking through, I've been stuck in the press room for the past three days, but, and I haven't actually, in the two years that I've been to NAB, I've never been out on the floor. (laughs) Um, What? Yeah. But, you know, the press room is great. There's a, it's very, uh, fluorescent and it's very cold but you know we have a huge team there we talked about it a bit last year we have 12 people here this year like four people editing videos a couple of writers um and then of course we have micah and charles on camera hosting and they have their own camera people so we were diesel flieger and diesel flieger who's been a great fill-in for our uh uh, we had a, a few people drop out at the last minute and a lot of the, there's been a lot of fires put out, but it, it's been a pretty good year, I think. Um, but the coolest thing I saw was, I think it's the Cinematch, uh, film converts thing. If it actually works, it could be like really, really useful for every filmmaker. Oh Jesus. Um, what a relief it'll be if it yeah, works. It'll be so nice. Um, 
and I mean, judging by how many people have watched it, it seems like it does have some serious potential too. And it's, it's probably our most popular video so far. Um, but what it does is essentially, uh, I don't even remember how it works, but I can tell you ideally what it does is it like they, they showed us a, a demonstration. They had a, a Panasonic GH5, a Sony A7S. Um, did they have a, a nicer camera? They had a Fujifilm X-T2 Fuji and X-T2? then they had an iPhone. Yeah, and an iPhone. And they were all shooting the same thing. And then later on when they got into post, uh, they plugged in this new software, which they call... Um, Cinematch. Cinematch. It's by Film Convert, Cinematch. And within six seconds, all of the pictures had color matched and looked pretty much exactly the same. Um, so the potential there is just so huge because you don't have to waste any time doing such boring color matching. You can just go right into editing. Um, and they're developing it first as a plugin for Adobe. So literally when you upload, it will automatically match the color for you. So even if you're a filmmaker who's like, fuck that, I'm only going to shoot one camera. I'm going to shoot everything on my 5D Mark IV. Well, if you're doing a drone shot on your DJI, or if you're getting like a GoPro shot, you're not going to be able to make those match the rest of your footage much more easily and bring it all together with like a lot of speed. Do you think, because they're from New Zealand, do you think they don't have Cinemax in New Zealand? So do you think that's why Cinematch? Cinematch, Skinemax too? Skinemax? Skinemax, the app to make all of the skin match, that's a dark hole. But that's, so that also brings up, I mean, another interesting, uh, I don't know, for me, I'm I'm less uh, familiar with tech stuff and I'm, you know, I'm still, I'm learning a lot, but um, some of the coolest things I've seen have been in the lighting realm, I think, this year. Um, I don't know. There's just been some crazy products, uh, crazy like sophistication. And as far, like, as long as we're talking about, you know, matching, um, colors of cameras, there's automatically, there's like pre-programmed settings within these lights to like work with the certain type of camera that you're using. Or alternatively, like if you do have a B camera, you could just use that light to emulate the sort of picture that you or sort of lighting or picture you'd be getting on, I don't know, not an Ari, but you know, like something similar. I feel like last year in this podcast, I said cameras are solved and nobody has to worry about cameras anymore because they're all great. So fuck off. I feel like uh, lighting is pretty much solved too. Like we have everything we could ever want with lighting. Like how could we like, I mean, everyone wants to keep improving, but you know, everything exists there's every type of lighting every color you know what more can be done with lighting i mean i don't really know it's like i feel like i go around to a lot of these booths and they show off their new lights and i'm like and it's like yeah that's cool but like yes same exact thing over and over and over again repackaged i think you're totally right like i remember uh hearing tomlinson holman give a presentation about sound and he was like Yeah, so we had 5.1 because with the base channel, it's like you can't tell the direction. And then when we did 11.2, we did two base channels. And someone raised their hand and were like, well, but you can't tell the direction. 
And he was like, well, yeah, but there's nothing else to add. Like, we just needed to add more things. So we did two bass channels, front and back bass, even though you can't tell the difference. So we're at that point where we're, like, beyond human comprehension with lights. So there's, like, fine little details that you could maybe measure with an app, but, like, human beings can't see the difference. The one exception is some people were talking about stuff where they're, like, working with calibrating their lights to different cameras because like red's 5600 doesn't look like aries 5600 that's what i was trying to talk about earlier and so you run into this situation where if you're doing all your uh camera tests on the red a a light that says it's 5600 might look way too blue whereas an airy might look perfect so being able to like i think what we're really entering is like the vast world of profiling like Sakonic lets you profile your camera kino is going to let you profile your camera so everybody's going to let you profile everything else so that everybody can know exactly what you're working with and dial it in for the product you're working with. What's funny is we've already talked about lenses. I mean, we've already talked about lights and we've already talked a little bit about cameras, but like this is the fucking year of glass. Jesus Christ, there was like nine different lens things this year, which is like, you know, Cook and Zeiss were both started in the 19th century. And like, yes, other people made glass in the 20th century, but like for movies, not that many other people so for like a hundred years, not a lot of crazy innovation in glass or like every 10 years, there'd be a new set of lenses. And like in the last year, Vedra had a new lens. Takina has a full new city line. GL has a whole bunch of new stuff. There's a company called Gecko that's making the Genesis 35 lenses, which all cover VistaVision. I feel like I heard the phrase and it covers VistaVision like 12 times. It was really awesome. Yeah. It's kind of bizarre to hear actually, right? It's like the, everyone's going the maximalist, like large format now it's like if your lens doesn't cover everything it's like way less sellable well it also it goes back to what you said about last year with like cameras are solved like once you reach that point with like cameras where they look beautiful the only direction people have to go is bigger sensors right like that's the place to take it we're already shooting in such small amounts of light we're already shooting where like random cameras have you know for under $3,000, you can have 4K 60p. For like $10,000, you can have 500 frames. Like, big sensors is the only place left to go. Yeah, and then, uh, in terms of glass, it's also been interesting to think about medium format because that seems yes. to be something that, it's like, yeah, where, where else can you go with glass once you start pushing uh, coverage through full, through full frame and VistaVision and everything? Then it's like medium format glass is going to start becoming a thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I had, you know, random money to collect stuff with, I'd be buying old Mamiya 645 lenses right now. Because at some point or another, there's going to be a lot of medium format video cameras that are going to be really hungry for primes. So the same way super speeds went up drastically in price from like 2005 to 2010. Or like if you had vintage Kawas, they like doubled in price from 2010 to 2015. I think like a full match set of Mamiya 645 lenses from like 2015 to 2025 could go up quite a bit. Cause once those sensors come out, we're not going to have a lot of medium format glass around to cover it. I would just say that, uh, you know, we're, we keep coming back to cameras looking for any way to improve upon anything at this point. And one thing that I noticed a lot, um, this year was like, you know, the, the big camera companies that already pretty much seem to have it all figured out the new thing that they're all adding is like wireless technology. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like the, the RE did who, who, who covered the RE? 
I covered the you RE. You covered the RE? Well, yeah. the new RE, what is it, the X? So the SXT is SXT. the top of the line, normal size area Alexa, not the super um, Alexa 65 that you can't buy, you can only rent. And they have now made it the SXTW, which is wireless. Right. And what, did, what does that accomplish? So basically, it used to be something, I mean, the classic example everyone keeps using is a car job. But honestly, at this point, everybody is wireless video all the time. Right. So like, wherever the Alexa is, you build your video vid- village, you hook up a receiver to the back of the monitor for video village, and wherever you want to run around with your camera, that video signal is making it back to video village. So the DIT can be processing it live. So live color grading can happen. So the director and the client can be looking at it. And you know, what everybody kept saying is like, you can have the operator in the car on a Russian arm and they're flying out 2000 feet away and getting signal back. Yeah. Most film sets, you don't get 2000 feet away from video village, but like you're doing Steadicam, you're doing Movi or fuck it. You just don't want to like keep rerunning the SDI cable. Anytime you move the camera wireless, is great. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So then I don't know. We listened to last year's podcast from NAB um, or this morning, listened to a little bit of it at least. And it seems kind of the same, but last year, the kind of con- the consensus was that last year was a bridge year, and that's sort of every other year is a bridge year, which leads to a bigger year with more excitement and like more big announcements. But this was supposed to be that year. <laughs> um, are we now moving at a pace where it's going to be like two or three bridge years between every big announcement? I think people need to remember when talking about filmmaking. Um, I mean, obviously, NAB is a huge convention with a lot of different industries colliding. Um, there's a lot of money at stake. There's a lot of industries in flux. Um, there's a lot of families, <laughs> livelihoods at stake. Um, but whenever I come to Vegas, I'm always just thinking about the excess of all this stuff. And like, why do we need all this stuff? Is this helping? Is this better technology helping anyone make better films? Is it helping helping anyone tell better stories? Um, why why do something just because you can? And I, I keep coming back to that question because it it really frustrates me to see the this sort of like um, American marching the the myth of progress, right? Like marching towards uh, better and better tools. And it's just, it's just sort of this machismo, aggressive, maximalist, put nine cameras in a array and shoot everything, just attitude that um, just kind of scares me, like kind of scares me. Also, I think our threshold for excitement has changed. Like there's so much information and so many announcements. So like I wandered around NEB and I saw stuff in person for the first time, but I was like, I read about that last June. Like, and it's like, it's my first time seeing it, but it feels like forever ago. Mm -hmm. Whereas 15 years ago before internet and blogs and Instagram, something less than a year old was brand spanking new. And like this year shouldn't like this year should be a banner year for lenses. Right. Or even post stuff like, DaVinci Resolve 14 in fully integrating Fairlight, if it can really compete against Pro Tools, so you have no round tripping, you are editing, coloring sound to DCP all in one app, the pain that will save should be fucking huge. But our threshold for excitement is so high that it's like, ah, great, awesome. But it doesn't, it still makes it feel like a bridge here. 
life happens in 360 degrees, and now on Vimeo.com, so do your videos. Now you can upload, watch, and even sell your 360 videos on Vimeo. Vimeo 360 means immersive eye candy, immersive adventures, and immersive storytelling from the world's best filmmakers. Plus, Vimeo has tons of helpful resources for all experience levels. Join the new home for 360 video at vimeo.com slash 360. In response to, you know, what you were saying, Micah, about how uh, it seems like it's it, there's all these new tools, but does it really help, like, the craft of storytelling or whatever? Um, also, these trends just seem to be pushing us further and further into automation, right? like they eliminate a lot of the human element of filmmaking, um, which is something really crazy. Um, and it's something that I don't really think about when, you know, low budget or independent filmmakers are making their films like they can't afford this stuff but for higher uh budget sort of blockbusters who can afford this sort of stuff easy like you can kind of tell that some of that heart or some of that like human uh error or even the possibility for human error or mistakes which are like some of the biggest uh i don't know some of the the best parts of making any sort of art are just lost um, so it's, it's kind of scary to think about it in that way. I agree. It's also interesting. Jack Ma said this week that CEOs should all be terrified because AI is going to come for CEOs. And it's funny because I think a lot of creatives think we're sort of insulated from that, but it is interesting to watch around the NAB show floor. And like, I met with this engineering guy today who has a bunch of engineering tools that like, basically he like does automated focusing things and he's like, it doesn't really have an application for us, but like for certain sporting events and stuff, he's like, oh yeah, we've saved like thousands of dollars in human labor by doing this. And it's of course from his perspective, he's like, great, I get to sell this $50,000 thing and save a company a million dollars in human labor. But then you flip that and you're like, that's a million dollars that should be going to motherfuckers so they shouldn't go buy dinner and buy a truck and go fishing that are now just going to this one engineer who was a super nice guy. So I'm not going to name them because they were great, but it's like, Oh man, that's fucking terrifying. It's a brave new world. I mean, the, the most terrifying thing of, of any of this, which is relevant to the, the national association of broadcasters is, is the, the net neutrality situation that we've found ourselves in. And there was a speech the other day at NAB from the FCC chairman. Which is the longest line I've seen at NAB. Like, it was the hugest line. And the most thunderous applause. We could hear it from the, from, the, from the press room. But I think, you know, when you read about the effects of that, of that speech, I mean, the, the, the open and free internet is, is doomed. What did he say in that speech? Um, well, I haven't read the, <laughs> I haven't read the speech, but, uh, like, but I've gotten sort of, uh, I've had some conversations about it um, from people who, who, who did. The situation is that the, the new FCC chairman is somebody who's buddy-buddy with a lot of these big communications companies, Verizon, Comcast, and, and, and whatnot. And uh, the situation we find ourselves in is that you're going to have to pay to play, you know? You're going to have to pay to, pay to get the bandwidth. Uh, so, so smaller companies are not going to be able to afford to get your traffic. And um, so companies who are healthy enough are fine. They can, they can pay to play. They can, they can play the game and continue to, to do their thing. But it's going to just halt innovation. And it's going to be, um, I mean, no film school, for example, is something that started 
out of somebody's backpack or whatever, you know, out of Ryan's backpack. So it's like uh, things like that are, are not going to be as as common. And that's a that's a really sad thing moving into the next, you know, four, eight years of slowing innovation and the open internet. It's just funny because, you know, going back to last year's podcast, I think the title is why NAB is like comforting for filmmakers. <laughs> so I guess that this podcast's title should be like why NAB is kind of terrifying for filmmakers um, at this point. I mean, it's not a total terror show. There were definitely a lot of moments today where I was wandering around and I would like see a random booth that I never would have stopped in otherwise. And it was like that magic of NAB where you see a thing you never would have seen where like they haven't even done a press release. They're not even on blogs. They're showing you a pre-release version. That thing is still there. You still get to run into people, you know, that you haven't seen in a long time, but it is changing. Like it's funny because there were two people that I went to film school with here both of whom work for software companies now, right? And it's like, it was so nice that they were here and I'm glad to see them, but it's like, we went to film school together. One of them directed a feature, the other directed a bunch of great stuff in film school. And we're now working in, you know, for software companies. So it's like a a changing industry where you land in different places than you might have 15 years ago. Like 15 years ago, I don't think Adobe had anything near the world-crushing presence they have now at NAB. Right, they were, yeah, they were Photoshop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, I guess if I, if I really think about it, the thing I was, was most excited about is the DaVinci Resolve 14 release, because this is the first time I've ever felt like it's coming down to a place where I can use it. Um, and that it's feels like it's powerful enough and has features that no other NLE has just from an editor standpoint. I mean, I work in Premiere. Uh, I've worked in Premiere for three years now the the fact that it's they're advertising seamless real time playback of 4K clips from a, a laptop stacked 4K clips from a laptop uh, is unbelievable because I'm working with uh, you know stacked HD clips in Premiere that lag all the fucking time and it's like I can't stand it if the if the playhead isn't as fast as my brain then the program frustrates me. So if, if DaVinci's actually come up with an algorithm, a way to make their GPU and CPU, as they say, 10 times faster and bring it and make it available to people who are working on laptops, that's gonna, that's the light bulb went off my head. It's like, wow, okay, if I can actually use this, then I might make the full switch. So yeah, no, there's, it's not all doom and gloom. There's, yeah, there's a lot of great glass. There's a lot of like new glass companies, Charles, like you were mentioning, um, companies that have their, their, their first year at NAB, their first line of lenses, they're coming out really competitive pricing, really competitive features. Um, we'll just time will just tell, you know, how those, uh, how the character of those lenses stack up and, and if they're durable and if, you know, if they, those companies can survive. But, um, yeah, a lot of great glass, um, a lot of great software and, uh, yeah, the spirit of NAB and, and seeing, seeing old faces. I, I bumped into my old the gaffer on my first feature film hadn't seen him in four and a half years. Uh, it was like, wow, you know, so there's still some, some good energy and a lot of great people just trying to, uh, they're trying to push innovation. So, you know, in the, underneath the, in the shadow of the net neutrality, uh, halt to innovation through the internet, 
NAB is still a place where people are really out there and putting their balls in the wind, trying to push things forward no matter what. But going back to what I said before, I realized what I was trying to say about my film school friends, which is when we were in film school, everybody was always talking about like, how are we going to make a living while we pursue these other things? And software never came up as a thing, right? We were all like, oh, we'll work on sets or we'll work in commercials or, you know, we're realistic about life. We're like, you have to make a living while you're pursuing making your passions. And never for a second did any of us think software. And software has grown to be such a huge thing that it's like, well, of course you're working in software while you continue to pursue your passions. So it is interesting. It's interesting to watch. I think in the next couple of years, we're going to see software be a bigger and bigger, you know, Blackmagic's a hardware company that's make where they make their living. They give that software away. But our whole conversation about Blackmagic has been the software they give away to drive hardware sales. Right. They have new cameras out. They have new color boards out. But we don't talk, like that's not nearly as exciting as the amazing software tools. I think that VR's emergence is sort of a testament to that, too, because if any like sort of filmmaking method meets like the software hardware convergence, it's VR, you know? Yeah. Well, and actually, because, yeah, we we don't get into big arguments about VR hardware ever. I'm never like, oh, that's only 6K, but I want 8K. I mean, I'm sure someone is, but like, that's never the thing. It's always like, what's the experience? Like, oh, you're looking under a thing. You're having this like, exactly. this thing is driving this experience. And it's really a conversation mostly about software. Yeah. So, yeah. And in the spirit of this sort of uh, small companies and, you know, people going out there making software, making things to, uh, that still seem like they help, uh, every filmmaker. Um, we were having kind of a hard time getting any noteworthy news the first day we were out here. And that's because we were sort of just like going after the usual culprits. You know, we had a, an attack plan, um, we were, we had it all ready to go. And then by the end of the first day, we only had like six videos, seven videos out. Um, and I think like the mood in the press room was all sort of the same, not just for no film school, but I mean, we were right by B and H and some other rental houses, blogs, uh, and everyone seemed to be a little bit frustrated about some of the announcements that were coming out. So we decided that we were going to spend the next couple of days focusing on going off the beaten path because those were the products that excited us the most. And ever since we made that decision, we've just been getting some pretty great stuff. And I mean, like the videos have been rolling in. There's videos that we haven't even seen yet. Uh, we have about 50 up tonight. We'll get another five up. I don't know, Micah, you have anything to say about that? It was your decision. You kind of had a, rallying meeting after the first day and got everyone in the spirit. What do they call that? A field call? Um, yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to make my, my team rally loud enough for Charles to hear who's sleeping in the next room. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, no, I just sort of sensed after the first day, I sensed this sort of, uh, kind of existential NAB despair, the kind that I feel every year when I come here and I was like, all right, we need to pivot. We need to kind of like figure out a way to make this exciting for ourselves again. I mean, I've been here four years in a row doing this and I felt like I kind of lost a little bit of the excitement that I had my first year. And I was thinking back and trying to reclaim some of that. And, you know, part of that is just letting your curiosity, uh, lead you. I wanted to impart that to the team and say, listen, this is the, this is the year where we should just, you know, follow our hearts and, and just, you know, roam free around the, 
around the um, convention center and on all the different floors there are and, and spaces there are and just see what catches our eyes and see what we can find that we wouldn't see any other time, any other place. Um, I did a little bit of that today just to kind of see what we could do tomorrow. And I, fe- I found this like crazy booth sh- showing these Blade Runner-esque projections. They're like, you know, like every futuristic science fiction film has the city now with like the 3D projection like sticking out in traffic as like cars drive by. That's a real thing now. I saw it today with my own eyes and I was like, whoa. Okay. Uh, so yeah, there's like all kinds of there are, are there are a lot of amazing, unheard of little innovations happening, you know, skirting around the edges of, of all the buzz and all the bigger companies and stuff. So that's kind of been the goal. Try to find those. Try to showcase them. And I thought that pivot really got back to what the heart of NAB is all about for like me, which is, yes, it's a place where big companies try and sell us stuff. But for those of us who go, it's a place for us to like run into random stuff we would never have heard of otherwise. Like, I can't tell you the number of booths I went to where I was like, how come I've never heard of this? And they're like, I don't know. We've been like trying to figure out how to tell people about it. So we like came to NAB to like show stuff to people. And I was like, no press release, no website, no nothing. And they're like, ah, we're getting to it. We want to just build the thing. And it's like, NAB is the place you find those people who've built this weird stuff who are like not great at press and don't have a professional press person and don't know how to get it out the way some of the big brands do, but know to go to a convention and show it to people. And like, that's great. And like, so yeah, that was a great pivot. I felt like that was a really great, like mid thing choice. Cause all of a sudden we were really encouraged to like really be on the hunt for those things. And I saw a bunch of stuff. I mean, even we went to Kinefinity to cover their camera, which has finally come out after years of vaporware and they had a random lens on it I'd never heard of. So we were like, are they here? And Ken Infinity was like, oh yeah, that company's here. And so we met a brand new lens company, Boca, B-O-K-K-E-H with the new Boca Lux line that like I'd never heard of. And they were like, oh yeah, we haven't really done any press for a line of lenses. It was great. It was awesome. I liked them. So like, it's also like, we're a blog the internet has a lot of good info. You can learn a lot of what you need to learn on known film school. But sometimes you got to go out to meet space and like wander around and like meet random people and like get real FaceTime with folks. And you do that year after year and you start to realize like, you know, a bunch of people in the film industry and it's kind of great. So we want to see everybody who's listening to this next year in person at NAB. Yeah. If you're building a small product, uh, if you're starting your startup, if you are trying to innovate in your garage right now and you are planning to come out to NAB next year, send us a, send us a, a line. Yeah, you can also send us a line like in December if you've built a cool thing. Like you, you don't have to wait for NAB. Very true. But yeah, you should definitely get in touch like the two weeks before NAB so we can make sure you're on our list. And in that sense, if you do want to get in touch, we'll just do our little sign-offs now. Um, you know, like... You can hit us up too uh, at No Film School whenever you want on Twitter. Um, I'm John Fusco. You can follow me at Jim underscore John underscore Jim. Jim, John, Jim. They aren't here to do that. Well, I'll be Emily and Liz. Yeah, you, you Jim, 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 Jim. I'm Micah Van Hove, and I'm tired as hell and ready to sleep. 
And I'm Charles Hain. I'm at Charles Hain on Twitter, although I haven't checked Twitter since I started saying that in the podcast. So it could be like 10 messages waiting for me. And uh, I will see all you guys next week or talk to you all guys next week from Brooklyn. Peace. <laughs> One more thing. Check out all our videos. <laughs> There's going to be a bunch coming out uh, in the next few days and we already have 50 up. So watch those because we worked hard on them. Have a good night. Thank you.